0: Our reading this evening is 1 Peter, chapter 2, verses 11 to 17. And this can be found on page 1,218 of our Bibles. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that, though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Submit yourselves, for the Lord's sake, to every authority instituted among men, whether to the king as a supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. Live as free men, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as servants of God. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the brotherhood of believers. Fear God. Honor the King.
1: Let me lead us as we pray together. Our Father God, uh, as we gather this evening, uh, we'll come with uh, mixed hearts and from different places. For those of us who know you already, would you impress upon us again what it means to be an alien and stranger living in this world? Would we therefore seek to love this world, to submit to those in authority over us? And yet, Father, there'll be some here this evening uh, who don't yet know you, and I I pray for them very much that they would uh, recognize, even tonight, how very good it is to live with you as their king, to be strange to this world, to be at home with Jesus Christ. So would your spirit take these words of your scriptures, apply them to our hearts tonight, we pray. Amen. Well, Christianity can save the world. I mean, you kind of expect me to say that, but uh, you can. Christianity can save the world. Uh, you'd expect it from me. It's more intriguing when the atheists start saying it. That's quite fun. I can't remember if I've actually quoted this before, but um, uh, this is an article uh, in the Times at the beginning of the year that Matthew Paris wrote uh, as an atheist. And it's very striking how he. Uh, the title of the article is, As an Atheist, I Truly Believe Africa Needs God. Uh, let me quote just uh, one uh, couple of sentences from the middle of the article. Now, a confirmed atheist, I've become convinced of the enormous contribution that Christian evangelism makes in Africa. Sharply distinct from the work of secular NGOs, government projects, or international aid efforts, these alone will not do. Education and training alone will not do it. In Africa, Christianity changes people's hearts, it brings a spiritual transformation. The rebirth is real. The change is good. Now, there's all manner of contradictions in his article. He says Africa really needs Christianity. Europe doesn't. And you think, well, hold on a minute. What's, what's all that about? What's going on there? That's strange. But he has been deeply impressed by the impact that the Christian message, that belief in Jesus Christ has had on people. He says it's really changed them. And that's good. That makes a real difference in this life, in this world. Christians are the people we want in Africa, changing it for the better, says self declared atheist Matthew Parrish. Now, that's just quite interesting. Uh, as uh, my Bibi said earlier, we're looking at 1 Peter, this letter that the Apostle, uh, Apostle Peter wrote to Christians who are struggling to live out their faith in the first century. Uh, It's a tough time to be a Christian. The, The real persecutions haven't quite yet begun. The emperor is Nero, and in about six, seven years, he's going to start persecuting in real anger. That's Christians to the lions time. But at this moment in time, it's hard to be a Christian. You're a minority. You are persecuted. People are speaking against you. And it's into that context that Peter is writing. To Christians who are minority viewed with deep suspicion. Now, uh, really, for the last few weeks, we've looked, um, concentrated, as Peter does, on the, the identity of a Christian. So the Christian is one who is born again, has a new heart. The Christian has an extraordinary hope in heaven. Uh, the church, the gathering of Christians, is immensely privileged. We've been thinking about the identity of a Christian over the last few weeks. But now we come to a turning point in the letter where Peter starts to talk about the mission. Okay, given that you're like this, what should you do? How should you live? So it's a rule, uh, we move from thinking about the identity to the mission of Christians. What should we do, given that we're aliens and strangers? And it's quite simple, really. It uh, uh, we, we really goes from uh, tonight, chapter 2, verse 11, all the way to chapter 4, 11 is the same theme. We're not doing all that. Uh, but you get the strategy in verses 11 and 12, which we'll look at in some detail. And then he applies that, 13 to 17 in society, 18 to 25 in the workplace, uh, three, uh, 1 to 7 onwards uh, in, the, in the home, in a marriage. In, in all different environments, he applies the same strategy. So if you're a Christian here tonight, what's the strategy? How do we, what should we do? Given that we have this identity as aliens and strangers, how should we live in the world? How should we relate to a culture which is suspicious, uh, at times hostile? That's what we're thinking about tonight. Uh, we're doing much less than I planned. I think we, we need to slow down a little bit here. So um, we're only going to verse 17, not all the section to verse 25. We'll have to squeeze in another sermon somewhere. I don't know what that means, move Christmas or something. But there's... Um, <laughs> There's, uh, we just need to slow down. And even tonight, I'm I'm scraping the surface, so we're going to spend a few weeks here. A couple of things to say then, really. How should Christians live? What should they expect? And then we'll start, we'll make a start to looking at uh, submitting to authorities, which is uh, the first real application of this that Peter makes. Okay, how should Christians live, and what should they expect? Firstly, then, how should Christians live... Let me read out verse eleven and twelve, dear friends. I urge you, as aliens and strangers in the world, to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day He visits us. How should Christians live? Essentially, there's a negative and a positive. The negative, abstain from sinful desires. The positive, live good lives. Uh, let's back up a little bit though, because he begins up uh, Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers. Say look now what we're we gonna do oh, hold on a minute, stuff it. Can I just remind you again of what you are? <laughs> just in case you've forgotten since my last sentence. You are aliens and strangers in the world. This world is not your home. When you become a Christian, you become a citizen of a different kingdom the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And you renounce, effectively, your citizenship of the kingdom of this world. You still live here, but you're no longer a citizen of this world. You're a citizen of the kingdom of God, of Jesus Christ. Uh, I have a, a lovely bloke uh, cuts my hair. Uh, his name's Harry, Harry Barber, Harry Barber. Um, he's uh, actually Ari. Ari is what he is. He's a Kurdish Iraqi. And uh, he's, I mean, there's lots of... Barbers do. I'm sure women, you have the same. Uh, but um, lots of barbers, they just have stories. Oh, boy, does, and Adi has a lot of stories. But he's an interesting guy. He's a Kurdish Iraqi, and uh, he came here in his youth because um, his father was a political prisoner under Saddam Hussein, uh, but managed to gain asylum, he and his family, um, during uh, the, effectively the civil war between uh, the, uh, the south and the Kurdish north in Iraq and uh, he can tell you horrific things of when his father was imprisoned. So at quite a young age, he came over to the UK, and what happened? He became a citizen of the United Kingdom. He had to renounce his Iraqi citizenship because at that stage, you really couldn't be both. But was that a hassle? Was, was that, a, was that a, um, unpleasant for him? No, no sense. He is so pro this country it makes me feel very timid, indeed. He loves it because of what he's come from. He knows what he's come from. And in the UK, he knows he's got a better standard of life. He's established a business. He owns two barbershops. He's got a family that he's bringing up in safety and security. Now, a couple of summers ago, slightly different now, he went back. First time in 80s, he went back. And he showed me his photos at length. Um, <laughs> I took a lot of photos. And it's very beautiful, the north, Kurdish, very beautiful, mountainous, lakes, fertile. And there's him and his family playing on these mountains. It looks like the Sound of Music photo, you know, things, scenes from that. Um, and I said, oh, you know, did, it, did you long to go back there? You know, did you think maybe your family should go back? Never. It was lovely to visit, but that is not my home. I'm a stranger in that country. And the UK is my home. I belong here. So even when I'm there, this is now my home. Emotionally, I know this is where I belong. This is a better place. Why on earth would I go back there and become a citizen of that place? Here is my home. Just so the Christian. Just so the Christian. We live in this world, but it's not our home. We belong to the kingdom of Jesus Christ. We're just passing through And when you're just passing through a country, passing through a a state, you don't pick up their customs, their habit, their culture. You're just passing through. You may observe it, be amused by it, bemused by it. But you don't pick up their customs. You're just passing through on your way to your homeland, just so the Christian. Aliens and strangers in this world. So, he says, dear friends, as aliens and strangers, what should you do? Well, the negative, abstain from sinful desires, or passions. Abstain from simple desires. Now, look, um, what do you think of when you abstain from simple desires? What do you think of? Don't say, that's quite revealing. But um, uh, And if you're a young man, you probably think, mm, lusting after women. If you're a young woman, you might think, mm, having men lust after me, that's quite appealing. Uh, then you get a bit older, and uh, that's less attractive, and you think, mm, uh, just chasing... Just chasing money, or even if it's illegal, I just, I just need that, or respect. Or you get a bit older and you think, it's all about your children, that's the, that's the thing you desire. You're the, you get passionate about your children and competing against other people's children and are they doing better. Now, what, what, what that phrase means to you will vary over time. What does Peter mean by sinful desires to abstain from them? He really just means the passions of this world. So it's the same phrase he used uh, back in chapter 1, verse 14. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in, lived in ignorance. Evil desires, simple desires, it's the same word. Uh, same as chapter 4, verse 2. The, uh, the believer, as a result, he, the believer, does not live out the rest of his earthly life for evil human desires. It's the same word each time. What Peter's saying here, when he says abstain from sinful passions, sinful desires, all he means is... Don't be passionate about the things that the world is passionate about. Be different. Don't chase their dreams in a way you used to, because this world is not your home. So don't be passionate for comfort. Don't be passionate for money. Don't be passionate for worldly success. Don't be passionate. Abstain from those sinful passions or desires. It'd be different, distinctive. Don't long for the things that the world longs for, he says. One of the novels I read on my summer holidays uh, was set in London. Uh, quite, always, I love books set in London, but um, this one was set in London. And uh, the chief protagonist in it uh, was in financial PR, uh, a woman, in, and it was the, the lead character. And uh, living in Clapham, went to Clapham Picture House Cinema. And, mm, this is my life, this is my world, I like this. Um, and uh, said every, you know, but basically was really bored. She said every weekend, you know, her husband, she and her husband, they had dinner parties, nice dinner parties. They had a nice five-bedroom house in the novel, and they had these lovely dinner parties every weekend. But she said, I'm so bored, because all we ever speak about are how much equity we have in our houses, where our children are going to school and what their achievements are, and where we're going on holiday. And we're so boring. And I read that and thought, that's my life.
0: <laughs>
1: that's it. Or, everyone, those, the people I spend time with, those who aren't yet Christians, that is all they normally want to speak about. That's, you know, gosh, those are the passions of my age and stage. And they change depends where you are, etc. But the people that we spend so, time socializing with, that's, those are their passions. And Peter would say to me, don't be passionate for those things. Abstain from loving them. That would be slightly different for you and your friends or you yourself if you're not yet a Christian. But that's what he means here, abstain from sinful passions. And he's, he's I was about to say he's passionate, he's, um, he's determined in how he says this. So verse 11, I urge you, I plead with you, don't love the things the world loves. Don't love these passions because what are they doing? They war against your soul. Your soul, your, your eternal nature, the center of your being, the bit that lasts for eternity, the sinful passions of the world, they're warring against your soul. So abstain from them. Now, that's strong language, isn't it? If, you're, um, if your doctor said to you, look, you, you, I'm serious now, you must abstain from all those fatty cholesterol foods, they're warring against your heart, you know, you know, one McDonald's a day. No, that's plenty. No, you can't. They're warring against your heart. Abstain from them, or you'll die. Oh, okay. Or um, I don't know, your boss might say to you, "Look, you need to abstain from drinking so much alcohol because it's warring against your brain. You come in every morning and you're ooh, you're zonked. You need to abstain from that. Or your physio might say." Look, abstain from running on the roads because it's, they're warring against your joints. And, you know, you're, you've got no kneecap left. It's warring against you. Now, you know, calm down, doctor, physio, uh, boss. But that's strong language. Well, that's the language Peter's using here. The sinful passions, desires of this what? They're warring against your soul. And that's the bit that lasts forever. So protect it. Oh, look, you'll get a new body. You'll get a new body in the new creation. You're getting a renewed mind. But your soul, you only get one of them. So abstain from the sinful passions. Don't love the things that the world loves that are warring against your soul. Which means don't be naive. Don't assume that everything you watch on TV is good for your soul. Don't assume that every advert that you read, watch, hear... Don't, don't assume that the advertisers want what is good for your soul. They probably don't. Don't assume that. Don't assume that the business that you're in, the company you work for, wants what is good for your soul. Probably don't. You're different, says Peter, if you're a Christian. And remember that. You're an alien and stranger in this world. So protect your soul. Because you're a kingdom of the next. Sorry, you belong to the next. You're a citizen of there. So abstain, that's the negative. But there is a positive, there's a positive as well. Do good. It's quite simple, really, do good. Verse 12, live such good lives among the pagans. That dot, dot, dot. Live such good lives. And this is really the, uh, the big theme for the whole of the next section. So let me just flick you through it. Uh, uh, just down below verse 15, it is God's will that by doing good, you'll silence the ignorant sort of uh, foolish men. Or the top of the next page, verse 20, if you suffer for doing good. Uh, over in the next column, uh, the NIV even gives it the heading, Suffering for Doing Good. They've, they've cottoned on. Verse 13 of chapter 3, you are eager to do good. Verse 16, uh, people will speak against your good behavior. Verse 17, you must suffer for doing good. Do good. Look, If you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, you know, this is the great secret. Here is the Christian strategy for taking over the world. We're just going to try and love the world and do as much good as we can. That's it. Crazy, huh? That's it. That is the Christian strategy. Not to withdraw into some uh, holy huddle and keep yourself apart from the world. Or not just to throw yourself in and assimilate completely. No, abstain from that, he's already said. But those are the two mistakes. Don't do that. Abstain from the world. Don't assimilate. But also don't withdraw off and just spend all your time with the three Christians who are identical to you and you can play the same music and wear the same clothes. Don't do that. Don't do that. Um, that really would be odd. But don't. And some Christians attempted to. Speaking to someone this week, he said the church they grew up in said, don't move to London, you'll be corrupted. Or if you go, live at home. Certainly don't move there. You'll become a wicked person. that's That's just not biblical. The biblical pattern, the way that Christians hope to change the world is by loving it. By doing good in the world. Now you do realize this advice that Peter gives, abstain and also live such good lives among the pagans, that is the unbelievers. It struck me... This is probably more relevant now than it has been for 17, 1,800 years. Again, the situation back then, they're not being imprisoned for being Christians, but there's social exclusion. There's lots of verbal abuse. That's the thing that comes up over and over again, verbal abuse that they get, ostracism. That's, it's very contemporary advice for those of us who are Christians. And look, if you're here tonight and not yet a Christian... I'm guessing that the reason you're here is you've seen, you've seen the life of a Christian and thought, oh, okay, interesting. They're a bit different. Look, I, I'm not especially vain. I don't really think you've come this evening to, you know, if you're not yet a Christian, it's not because you've heard of me because no one's done that. It's probably not because you really like Christian music. If you're not yet a Christian, that would be odd. If you're here and you're not a believer, I take it it's because you know some Christians and their life intrigues you. The way they live is different. And you want to think a bit more about that. It's a reminder for those of us who are Christians, our lives matter. When, uh, when you go to work tomorrow or a college for some, uh, you are a walking advertisement for God. Which is daunting a little bit. You might as well... Uh, Tomorrow, don't do this. But you might as well, effectively effectively what you're doing is you're going into the office tomorrow and you're wearing a sandwich board saying, God is like this. If you want to know what difference God makes, look at me. Now, who wants to wear that sandwich board? But you do. You do. People will look and they'll make a judgment of what God is like, of how good he is of what difference he makes by our lives. So make them live good lives, uh, says Peter. Look, I'm, let me try and I'm put some flesh on bones here. Let me Three little questions. I mean, you could ask any. Do I love the unlovely? Do I live life honestly? Do I live for God happily? I mean, I, I've made them up, but they, they're arbitrary, aren't they, in one sense. But good questions to ask. Do I love the unlovely at work, at college? Do I shun the geeks? Do I mock the different? because everyone else does, or do I love those that are quite hard work? So, practically, you know, Peter isn't asking everyone to be William Wilberforce and change the world, but just small. Where you are tomorrow, do I love the unlovely? Is that a good work I can do? Do I live life honestly? Uh, in, a, in a culture where lying and cheating, well, just everyone does that now, it doesn't matter uh, if it's in the Formula One car, it doesn't matter if it's on the rugby pitch, it doesn't matter if it's in Parliament and how you spend your money and expenses, everyone cheats and lies, don't they? To be honest, do I live life honestly? That's a, that's a simple thing that you could do. Did you see last month, I really enjoyed this, uh, the guy who just stood down from head of the army, Sir Richard Dannett, Christian, good Christian man. Um, some uh, uh, um, two, uh, Kevin Jones in particular and Bob Ainsworth, the, um, uh, the Labour Defence Minister, is fed up apparently with his public criticisms of the government, right we'll, we'll, uh, we'll get him we'll publish all his expenses and ha, huh, you know, he'll be living it up on champagne uh, in the officer's mess and you know, we'll reveal him, you know, he lives it up on champagne while soldiers are dying, so that, you know they dig around and get all his expenses claims but the news of the world, for some reason published them first, and um, what oh, what did he get up to this you know this christian general in charge of the army where well, he shopped at little so they you know they, had, they published his shopping lists and he was entertaining the, the indian high high command owner the chief officer from lots of different nations and he was buying little sausages at 1.19 a packet <laughs> little red merlot wine 1.49 a bottle And uh, so his expenses for the last year five grand. The uh, the two MPs in question, 150 and 200 grand. And uh, of course this gets published. And, the, and the, I, I went on the website. I don't buy the News of the World, but I, I looked at some of the. Um, uh, I've never done that. Um, uh, but some of the comments left by readers. Yeah, what a good bloke. Uh, can we have him as our prime minister? One woman. Do you write poetry? I'm um, uh, not sure about that. Um, but you see, all, very simple. He didn't know that was going to come. Just quietly, quietly, quietly. He's just doing good. Just living honestly. <laughs> very striking. Do I love the unlovely? Do I live life honestly? Do I live for God happily? Uh, anyone who went to the women's convention, most of you yesterday, the uh, ladies would come home with Becky Pippett's book, Out of the Salt Shaker. Which is a great book, and uh, I started reading it again last night because I remember reading it when I was a student. I thought, oh, that was a good book, so I started reading it again. Give it to me, says my wife. No, I want it. um, uh, Obviously, I never have it. Um, uh, But I got a a reasonable way in, and she tells this lovely story a lovely story of a friend who uh, was a New Age uh, character and used to say to her, You Christians, you're so critical. You're so critical. Can't you just be positive? Can't you just be positive about stuff? And she's pretty depressed by that, until one day her friend rang her up and said, can I come to church with you, Becky? Because you are different. You have a, you live life happily. I know I'd say you moan about one or two things, but you live life happily. My life is work and worry, and you seem to have a a freedom from that anxiety. You seem to be able to be thankful, and, and you enjoy days more than I do. Can I come to church with you? And her comment was, I had no idea that I was being attractive just by being thankful in her presence. I mean, there are many ways you could ask it, but do I love the unlovely? Do I live life honestly? Do I live for God happily? You only do it if you're an alien in this world. If this world is strange and not your home. Uh, Abstain from evil desires, live good lives, uh, says Peter. That's how Christians should live. Okay, if we're doing that, uh, second thing. Second thing, what should Christians expect? Again, a couple of things. Expect this. Expect verbal abuse, but expect people to become Christians. Okay? Verbal abuse, but people to become Christians. So verse 12. uh, Live such good lives among the pagans that, though they accuse you of doing wrong, they, they say they do wrong. Uh, But it's always verbal in this, uh, according to Peter. So, for example, again, verse 15. It is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. Or uh, verse 23, talking of Jesus. When they hurled their insults at him. So uh, certainly at this time in history, Peter saying to the Christians, it's verbal. You'll be slandered. You'll You'll receive insults. People will speak badly of you. And just expect that. Expect that, if you're a Christian. I mean, Jesus had it. Why would you expect to be any different? And why was Jesus persecuted? Well, he said to lots of religious sort of people, you're hypocrites. Your religion is just, it's superficial, it's a veneer. You need to be born again because you're so wretched. He says, pretty publicly, "Uh, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Oh, you want to have a relationship with God? You need me, says Jesus. Otherwise, you, you go to hell. Very blunt on that. What about all the other religions, Jesus? No. Only through me. Now, do, you, do you see why he's not? He provoked reaction. See, when you, when you read Jesus' words, I mean, pick a gospel, take Mark's gospel, and just read it through. It's the shortest one. You read Jesus' words, you realize you have, you, he's not a nice man. He's not as bland as that. You either worship him as God, or you say, this man is rude. He's he's divisive. Uh, He's loony. You either worship him as God, or, or, or you don't like him. To say he's just a nice guy, you can't do that. He's not bland. You worship him as your Lord and Savior, or you find him objectionable. Now, if that was true of Jesus, and Christians say let me tell you about Jesus, what do you expect? And haven't you had that? You, you, you explain what, what Jesus taught to people, and they'll say, well, that's outrageous, that's outrageous. I can't. You, you really believe that? You really believe that some people go to heaven, some people go to hell? Well, that's disgraceful. How can you believe such a thing? What about all the good people? You, or am I the only one who ever has that? You see, if you explain things clearly, expect it. Expect verbal abuse. Expect people to do you know what he believes? Do you know what he believes? He doesn't think I'm going to heaven. Or you. Whoa, expect it. I mean, don't be surprised. If you're telling people about Jesus, he's divisive. You worship him as your Lord and Savior, or you find him objectionable in some of the things he says. He, doesn't, he didn't mean to be just a nice guy that everyone loved. He is divisive. So expect it. Or as Peter himself puts, uh, we'll come to it in a few weeks' time, chapter 4, verse 12. I mean, this is putting it as clearly as, as it comes. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you're suffering as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice. Rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you're standing up and saying, I'm with Jesus, expect, expect verbal abuse. But expect people to become Christians as well. So 12, verse 12 again. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Now there's an implicit stage missed out here, I think, of becoming Christians. They see your good deeds. They investigate the Christian faith. They become Christians and therefore they give glory to God, so that when Jesus Christ returns, they're with Him. That's always the way glorify is used. Um, uh, 61 times in the New Testament, glorifying God. It's what believers do. So people are becoming Christians. That's what Peter is speaking about here on the day he visits returns. So Peter says, "Look, if, if you as a community do this, it'll make a difference. One or two individuals, that's good, that's helpful, but every religion. Atheism has its moral heroes. Agnostics have their moral heroes. Every, every, but when a community do it, when everyone who claims to be a Christian does it, that's compelling. No, nothing does that. When the community is distinctive and loves people, boy, is that a different experience. Uh, some of you know one of my, uh, one of my favorite historians, Rodney Stark, Um, Let me quote you something from him that you've not had before, which is amazing, really, because I've quoted almost all of his book. Um, In his book, uh, The Rise of Christianity, he describes himself as a non-Christian, non-atheist. So he's agnostic. But um, he writes this on uh, the early church. It's kind of his conclusion on why so many people became Christians in the first two centuries. He puts, to cities filled with the homeless and impoverished. Christianity offered charity as well as hope. To cities filled with newcomers and strangers, Christianity offered an immediate basis for attachments. To cities filled with orphans and widows, Christianity provided a new and expanded sense of family. To cities torn by violent ethnic strife, Christianity offered a new basis for social solidarity. And to cities faced with epidemics, fires, and earthquakes, Christianity offered effective nursing services. They did good. They lived such good lives among the pagans of first-century Rome, second-century Roman Empire, the people hated what they said, but thought, but hold on a minute. Why are they living that way? And they became Christians. So that's what Christians should expect. Expect abuse, but also expect people to become Christians. Now, um, uh, very briefly, let me introduce this, and we'll come back to it next week. Uh, One practical implication then Peter says, submit to authorities, that's the first, The first, verses 13 to 17. Submit to authorities. And submitting is going to be his big idea, really, of this whole section. So verse uh, 13, submit yourselves to every authority. Uh, Next week, verse 18, slaves, submit yourselves to your masters. A few weeks after that, chapter 3, verse 1, in the same way, wives, be submissive. We'll fall on that grenade uh, when we get there. Um, (laughs) But submit. One of the ways you can do great good in contrast to everyone else, is to submit to every authority placed over you. Now, you know, what is it? You know, da, 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 yes, what's our strategy? Yes, we're going to be different. What do you want us to do, Peter? Submit. Oh, it, you know, it doesn't. It's not really the battle charge you want, is it? As you ride off on your horses, because it's not popular. Submit. That's, submitting. Is just not very popular in our culture. We don't like authority. The the glee over the MP's expenses scandal. (laughs) Yes, those over us, we can mock them and and tease them. It's not really cool to be obedient. It's sort of, uh, it's grown up to be cynical and mock. So culturally, we've got a problem with this. I mean, it's a Western thing. Go to a different culture, an Eastern culture, and respect for authority would still be very strong. But everyone thinks implicitly they know better than their leaders, Until you become a leader, Uh, and then you realize you know better than everyone under you. It's one of those great ironies. Everyone thinks they know better than their bosses, than their leaders, until you reach that point. So every child has said at some time, "When when I'm a parent, I'll never make my children do this. I'll never make my children go on long walks. I'll never make my children wear clothes like this. And then you become a parent, and you do. And it's quite humbling. It's just instinctive. We always think we know better than the bosses over us. Uh, But it's quite hard being in authority, says Peter, so respect them. So you could long to be the head of your department, and eventually you get there and you realize, oh, actually, the old bloke wasn't quite as bad as I thought. It's a tough job. You could long for years to be Prime Minister of the UK and get your position and realize, actually, the old bloke wasn't too bad. It's quite a tough job. But we think that we think we know better than those over us. I got a taxi uh, the other a couple of weeks ago with a super guy who was, you know, full of chat, as much as the hairdresser, um, you know, chatting away, chatting away. But uh, he was—he's was really laying into Gordon Brown, and he, I could run the country better than Gordon Brown. And uh, he outlined some of his erudite policies, and it was at the point he said, In "Afghanistan, well, that's a mess, isn't it? We should just nuke the whole country." <laughs> And I thought, well, you know, I'll just, Gordon's all right, thanks. Um, uh, it was just instinctive. We all think we know better. But, you know, you'll become bosses at some point, many of you here. And you'll think, hmm, uh, actually it's harder than I thought being in charge, being responsible. Maybe I'll cut the, uh, the old bloke, the old woman, a bit of slack. So Peter says respect or submit to those over you. Uh, why? why um, let me just, that's what we're to do, to submit. That's a what. Uh, very quickly, why? Why do it? Well, there are three little reasons given. For the Lord's sake, verse 13, because God appoints everyone to their position. Uh, for your good, verse 14, governors who are sent by God to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. And verse 15, for their good, again, so that they might glorify God is implicit there it's the same as at the uh, end of verse 12 so that you silence the talk of ignorant of foolish men and they realize oh okay maybe there's something else here so for lots of good reasons so don't think to yourself don't spend time and think well we have rubbish rulers we just have rubbish rulers don't don't go around saying that rubbish rulers in this country because remember god put them there god put them there secondly they're there for your good you know, if you rang up, if you one day your house is being burgled and uh, you've been beaten up by burglars and you dial 999 and the voice on the other end of the phone is, ha, 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 we've done away with the police and we're in charge of your neighborhood now. That wouldn't be so good. It's quite useful having authorities. If the country was invaded, where's the army? Oh, they've gone. Oh, they were quite useful. And having the politicians over them, that was quite useful. These things we just take for granted. It's very good that there are people in authority over us. So um, submit yourselves to them. Uh, and why do it, uh, very briefly, why do it? Well, verses 16 and 17 is, is on that. And it seems to be that some people were saying, well, let me read verse 16. Live as free men, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as servants of God. Show respect to everyone. Love the brotherhood of believers. Fear God. Honor the king. Looks as if some people are saying, we're free. We're Christians. Christ has made us free. We're free. We're free from the penalty of sin. We won't be judged for our sins. We're free from the power of sin. We can, we can live differently now. We're free. And Peter says, yeah, you're not free to disobey the law, you idiots. Don't do that. That's not what you're free for. You're free to serve God. And he says to you, Submit to those in authority over you. I think it's what's going on here. Now, there is a hierarchy in verse 17. So it's slightly hidden, but um, show proper respect to. That's honor. The word is literally honor. So verse 17 is honor everyone. Love the brotherhood of believers. Fear God. Honor the king. So Peter sets up a sort of hierarchy here. Honor everyone and honor the king. So Caesar, he's no important than anyone else. Love the Brotherhood, that's a higher command. Love Christians, fear God. So He's at the top of the tree. So anything which the government asks you to do, which contradicts your relationship with God, don't do that, because God is who has your first loyalty. But in all other cases, honour the King. Submit to those in authority over you. Be they government, be it your lecturers, be it your employer. Submit to them. But what if they're deeply unreasonable? Submit to them and tell them that through the appropriate channels. What if the government passes uh, an unreasonable law? Well, it depends uh, on quite what it is. But um, uh, the government passes a law and allows, um, uh, tricky ethical ones, but um, uh, uh, promotes, allows euthanasia. Sorry, no, assisted assisted suicide, which most Christians would have a problem with, and uh, we can talk about that another time. But uh, a government passes a law. What should you do? Well, you submit to the government, and you protest, and you seek to have the law changed. But you still submit to them while you're doing those things. You're pursuing every method you can. Now, there comes a difference, of course, if the government says, if a preacher, if a minister stands up and says, Jesus Christ is the only way to God, that's illegal, I would do it. And I would go to prison for doing it. And I hope you would too. Because then, at that point, I need to obey God and fear him. Now, it's a tricky area, this whole area of civil disobedience. If you, if you want more, you know, grab me afterwards. Or, actually, last year, if you go on the website, chap in to the sermons church and state... Uh, There's a whole um, lecture, actually, online about relationships here and and when civil disobedience is appropriate. I don't want to talk too much about that because I don't want to blunt what it says here, which is submit. In your daily lives, in those in authority over you, submit. That is one way, says Peter, of doing good that people will notice, to submit without great complaint and moaning, to submit, to get on with doing that. Okay. Um, we're only just starting, but we'll we'll finish that, or I'll come back to it next week. Points here. Christianity can save the world. It can make an enormous difference. Abstain from sinful passions, sinful desires. Live good lives. Expect there to be hostility if you're talking of Christ. But expect that people will be very struck by a marked difference. Now let me finish with this. If you're a Christian here, do you want to wear the sandwich board tomorrow? Not many of us want to do that. We either think, well, no thanks, I don't want to stick out like a sore thumb. I don't want to be distinctive. I just want to blend into the background. Can I say to you that that, that's a sinful refusal to be what Christ wants you to be? He says, I've given you a new identity. You're a citizen of my kingdom now, and I live that way. You're an alien and stranger in the world. Live that way. Others of us will think, I don't want to wear the sandwich board because I'll bog it. Uh, I'll, I'll bring disrepute to God's name. Well, if no, no one's perfect. Of course, we'll make mistakes. But just admit them. Admit the struggles. Admit the failings. And say that you're a work in progress. But Christ gives the power to change as well. So expect that. If you want to live distinctively for him, to abstain from sinful passions, to do good, and you ask him for that, he'll help you. He's the one who is the supreme alien and stranger. A couple of times in John's gospel, John 8, John 18, he says very clearly, I am not of this world. And if you're a Christian here tonight, aren't you glad he decided that? Because he was not of this world, he didn't blend in. He told the truth, and he died for us. I said, because I was not of this world, I can give you new life, and you can be different too. So keep coming to me. Keep looking to me. I am the supreme strange one who was not of this world. And I'll give you what you need to live differently. To live as aliens and strangers. Let's pray together. Our Father God, what an extraordinary strategy that you would choose to use uh, fallible, um, foolish Christians to be your sandwich boards, to be your adverts, to point people towards you. And you'll know that those of us who are Christians here tonight, we, we, we make mistakes We're too timid to do this vividly, clearly, to live distinctively. Would you give us the strength to do that, we pray? Would you help us live as aliens and strangers, knowing that this world is not our home, that we are citizens of a greater kingdom, a better kingdom? And, Father, for those here who don't yet know you, would they please not be put off by the mistakes of Christians, but would they see you at work in the lives of Christians, changing them, transforming them in a way that is not normal, And so would they consider again the claims of Jesus Christ, now that only in him
0: can they be truly free. Amen.